0: Man, yeah. Thank you, guys. Here, your brother. You want to slide that in there for me? Thanks. Glad you're here today. Welcome, those of you in person and online. Glad that you're here. So our youth are going to join Pastor Josh in the back, and they're going to head down for their service. And our kids' XPs downstairs already. And um, I, I don't know if I was just projecting a spaghetti dinner on him for the youth, but it's actually a Thanksgiving dinner with turkey, I guess. <laughs> I like spaghetti, Uh, I mean, you know, so the sides are for the spaghetti and no, they're for the Thanksgiving dinner, so yeah, you're welcome. All right, so 2020 has been an amazingly great year for me, I'm not joking, it has been. You know, like, uh, sometimes we look at stuff and we tend to look at the negative things of life and things, and there's always problems and difficulties that we face. But I have been extremely and abundantly blessed by God in so many ways. You know, my wife was diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of the year, and we went through that whole process of not knowing what was going to happen to her. And in our lives, having been together, we dated since she was 15 and I was 16, we've been married since she was 19 and I was 20. And everything we've done, including giving our lives to Christ together when we were just teenagers, uh, has been together. And so the idea that I would maybe be living without her was pretty um, overwhelming. <laughs> the reality of that was so real to me in that moment, and then that God would allow me to have her back. And to be with me was, I mean, if there's nothing else that happened in this entire year there's one thing that would stand above all others that I would praise God for, but there's, that's not the only thing. God has been moving through all this. I want everybody to understand, none of this has caught God off guard. The craziness of now. He's well aware of what's going on. And I want you to know, though God does not cause chaos and craziness, He uses chaos and craziness. He uses crises in our lives to call us to Him. He works through them. If you look at statistics, the vast majority of people that come to Christ after they're 18 years or older, because we get set in our ways, and that's why the Bible teaches us to train a child up when they're young, so that when they're old, they don't depart from it, right? It is so critically important that we plant the seeds of Christ and His Word in the children, because when they get older, God can use that Word to change them, call them, and to make them who they're supposed to be. But when you look at the statistics for those of us that are in this group or listening online all across the, the nation and the world, if you have not committed your Christ life to Christ by the age of 18, it is highly unlikely you ever will. And those who have do so because of crisis. That doesn't mean it's a bad crisis. It can be a good crisis, but it's something out of the normal in your life that happens that makes you come out of your normal into understanding something more than you. And so when I look at this, I'm telling you, church, that, that we need to understand that this is a, an incredible opportunity for us to share Jesus with people who are looking for answers in life, desperate to know something of peace and solid foundation, and it's Jesus. Therefore, we have an incredible opportunity before us. This is an amazing time to celebrate who we are in Christ. So instead of complaining about everything else going on or not going on, just let's focus there. You will stand out on all your social media sites if you're not talking political stuff or illness stuff, COVID stuff. If you just talk about something other than that, you're going to stand out and it should be Jesus. Amen. God is so good. He's amazing. And I'm humbled that he would ever call me, that he would ever listen to me, that he would ever answer any of my prayers. He's incredible. I want to look to him right now because what he wants to say to us this morning beyond this moment. Father, we love you. We humbly come to you right now. Lord, help us to just to disappear and let it be you that speaks. We ask this in Jesus' name thank you lord my my heart is extremely heavy with the message today I'm very blessed and encouraged by God but the reality of what God wants to share with us today is very heavy in my heart and I will explain that as we go through the message but I would ask you as I do every single week you don't have to like me you don't have to like the way I talk or the way I look it doesn't matter what you need to do right now is ignore me look away if you have to but listen to God's word because what I speak to you comes from the heart of God's word through my heart to serve my God and deliver to you with everything that I have in me that you might know what God has for you I know that I will stand before him and give account of everything that I say in my life everything I do in my life And he will hold me to a standard because of what I say to you about who he is. I'm well aware of that. That's not a small thing. And as we look in the word of God, what we have discovering and what we see in God's word, we shared last week about Martin Luther. And how God's word transformed this one time priest and monk into a passionate evangelist sharing God's word that reformed the church and changed the world. God took that time to allow us, all of us, to receive his word for ourselves, no longer dependent upon the church or the hierarchy of a church to tell us what God wants. We've been given this amazing message. It's God's love letter to me and you. Throughout the years in ministry, I've had a lot of people that question the Bible. Of course, you know, you have too. And everybody's looking for any kind of a, a chink in, in Scripture that they can find, that they can say, oh, that's not God's Word. And as soon as we begin that debate, if someone wants to, all I ask them is, what is it that you believe? What do you believe? What is your hope? What are you looking for? I want everybody to hear this. A lot smarter people than me and a lot smarter people than you have tried to discredit God's Word, and God's Word always proves itself. Always. It's God's Word. The 66 books of the Bible. By the way, just as a side note, this is not Catholic bashing. This is lifting up God's truth, and you can look in history. So just so if anybody has a Catholic background or friends or family, don't be offended at this. Just look in the history of the church and in the historical records of the world and understand this prior to Martin Luther leading the Reformation and translating the word of God from the original Greek tra- uh, scriptures into the German language, the Bible had the 66 books in which we, can, we have our canon, which is the canon is the, the line that it is drawn that it has to meet certain criteria to be included in God's word. And then there were a section of books called non-canonical, which means they did not measure up. And those are the books of the Apocrypha. Okay, So the Apocrypha books were put at the back of the Bible as having some, some reference and some good stuff as far as history goes, but the spiritual aspects of those did not measure up and did not agree with what was found to be in truth in God's Word. Therefore, they were never included as part of the Bible. But they were back there for historical reference. When Martin Luther translated the word of God into the German language, he didn't even translate them because he said the church doesn't even see these as measuring up, so there's no point in having these. And then, look it up in history, what the Pope did was he canonized the Apocrypha books so that he could call Martin Luther a heretic. And because in the structure of the Catholic Church, the Pope has supremacy over the word of God, he was seen in the church as allowed to do this and therefore in the Catholic Bible you have the Apocrypha books now as included in scripture as part of the Bible but if you look in history you'll know that's when it happened (laughs) and they don't measure up so people write me and they say you know have you read the lost books of the Bible seriously and I've had people bring them to me have you seen the book of Mormon yeah I have a copy do you know what the Jehovah Witness say yes I do Look, I want you to know, church, that God's Word is good, it's holy, it's true, and it has stood the test of time. It will continue to stand the test of time, and those who come against it will be proven wrong and have been proven wrong and will again. Okay? So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. If you uh, look at the news at all and stuff, and you look at some of that archaeology stuff, I don't know if you did, but back over there in, in Israel... Just in the last two weeks, they were digging, get ready to build something, and they found these rocks. And on these rocks, there's some images there in prayer and things, and what they did is they have discovered that these rocks, and they're affirming this, but it looks like it's a a group of people that King David conquered in scripture, but their existence We didn't know anything about their existence, had no evidence of their existence. It's one of those kinds of things that people say, yeah, I don't believe the Bible is true because it talks about people that never existed and we have no evidence. Well, they found it. Just another little testament. Look, it's true. God's Word is so good and He proves it to us over and over again. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the book of Isaiah, you understand it was the entire book of Isaiah that predated Christ... And all those who come against the Bible were saying that the book of Isaiah was written after Christ because it had such detail about His life, how He would give His life, suffer and die for us. There's no way it happened before His birth. So they were all saying it was after. We never had a copy of anything predating Christ until... 1949, when that shepherd boy threw a rock into a cave, heard a pottery smash, went inside and discovered all those scrolls that were there, there intact was Isaiah, and it was translated and is still being worked on today, but the entire thing translated, and our book of Isaiah aligns perfectly. That's God. Now, why are we talking about all that? You all can know that. You can look it up. But it's important that you and I understand that we can trust God's Word, for it contains the power of salvation. The Word of God doesn't save you, it is the message of truth that has the power to save you when you put faith in what God says He will do for us, it happens and it works. So as we look back in the same scripture we read, I think the last two weeks, but we're going to read it again today. When Jesus is talking about the farmer and the sower and how he plants the seeds, let's read it because this is the interpretation of that scripture. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. woo But since they don't have any deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away. Okay, my screen didn't work. So if you want to flip that screen for me, that'd be great. (laughs) As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. The lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So church, I want you to hear me right now because what's happening is we are all, as of this very moment, having hearing me speaking these words, now living in this parable of Jesus. If you hear my words, you are living in this parable and you fit somewhere. Some people are listening. They don't get it. They don't try to understand it. And the enemy is just like taking it away immediately. The second group of people, as we see Jesus talk about it, we hear it. We're excited about it. We're like, that's exactly what I need. Then we get up on Monday and we start our week. And as we start the day, somebody says something to us, and it goes wrong. Challenged in our faith, and we just kind of turn our backs on it and say, well, "That didn't work. And we walk away. And that third group of people, as we look at it, they hear it. They believe it. Listen, faith is grabbing a hold. But then they allow life and the things of the world that is calling to consume us, get us off the path, we don't change, and we produce nothing. And that last group, as Jesus says, man, they not only hear it, they not only understand it, but then they live it. And as they embrace and live the Word of God, something happens through them where there is a production of 30, 60, and 100. So before I go any further, I want us to hear that because it's important. Part of our issues within the church is we're always measuring or comparing ourselves to other people, and Jesus Himself tells us that we're going to look a little bit different and we're going to produce a little different. All right? Like, it's okay that our church isn't the biggest church in the world. I'm okay with that. All right? Really. We're part of the church, universal, which I'm glad I'm a part of. We don't have to be as big as anybody else. We don't have to be as small as everybody else. We're supposed to be who Jesus made us and called us and how He's working through us to do what He wants to do. And if that's 30, then I want to make sure we're 30. And if it's 60, I want to make sure I'm 60. If it's 100, I want 100. See, it's whatever God wants to produce through us, we're all in to make it happen. I don't want to produce 29 if 30 is the goal. So God's calling us into this thing, and He's challenging us. So I want to look at a character in the Bible that you've probably read his name, but you never even thought about him, looked at him, or studied him at all, and it's okay if you didn't, but today we're going to focus on him. He's a guy that is mentioned only three times in the New Testament. His name is Demas, again, not a real well-known name, of course, but he's really important character for me and you and what Jesus is teaching us today see apostle Paul when he went on his missionary journey as he was preaching Jesus I want everybody to hear me because Paul didn't go start churches he preached Jesus people got saved and then churches started happening because of God's move the modern church is trying to plant churches so that we can save people we're I don't even understand why we're so I almost said stupid but I won't use that word I don't know why we are trying to do things our way. God has the perfect leading in His Word. It was people sharing Christ and people came to faith. They shared it with their friends and their friends. And pretty soon the friends that all met that didn't have a church in their community were meeting in a house. And pretty soon they grew so much that they had to have another place to meet. And a church was born. It's all good. It's biblical. So he's going on his mission journeys and he's writing letters back to people. That's the epistles of the New Testament. So the book of Philemon was written in 61 A.D., right in that 61 A.D., right in that time frame. So as we read this, this is the first time Demas is mentioned historically in Scripture. So listen, this is is not a life-changing verse. Just hear it. It's important you know what's said. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. So the Apostle Paul... And his writing says, Demas is one of my co-ministers. He's right here working with me. Colossians, the book of Colossians was written to the church that was in, in that vicinity, in that area, and it was written in 62 AD. And this is the words we find here. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. So we find that Demas is, one year later, still working in ministry with Paul, right alongside of him the last time you're going to hear his name is six years later. The Apostle Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy and it's found in the second letter written to that young pastor and how he leads the church. And it was down, written in 67 AD and all these numbers are within one or two years and pretty, pretty accurate because of the, the governmental structure that's mentioned and things that were happening in history. 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to this. Timothy... Please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. I'm out of here. Think about it. So he's been, we know he's been in ministry at least six years. He's been part of what God's been doing. He's been preaching Jesus. God's moving And he's been part of God's work. So what we have right here in scripture is through the life of Demas, a truth of the parable of Jesus before our very eyes. Because you see, as we look at that scripture and we see what he says to us right there, Demas loved the things of this world. And he left. It's exactly what Jesus warned us about exactly what he said he's telling us look out this is what happens you <laughs> never again mentioned in scripture we have no idea where he ended up with his soul Now, there's a lot of people that believe that once you're saved you're always saved i'm not one that believes that hope you're right and i'm wrong seriously i really really do because there's a lot of people banking on this amazing grace of God that is so amazing. But I just see things like the parable of the sower that kind of teach contrary to that idea. Demas, who's a living example of that idea. Come on, brother. Judas, Come on, brother. who's a living example of that idea. And if you think, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, let me just tell you, if you just go back in the Gospels and Jesus said when they all came back and Judas was one of them from doing the ministry and healing and doing miracles and they were like wow Jesus the demons are even subject to us he says don't rejoice at that but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life said the book of life not the Lamb's book of life same thing Judas was one of them but we know Judas was lost okay we'll leave that alone I'm not going to argue that debate hope you're right hope I'm wrong 1 Corinthians 10 Ladies and gentlemen, as I read this scripture to you, this is another thing that kind of goes in the face of that idea. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted... He will show you a way out so that you can endure. There is a war for your soul and mine. It's happening. If once you were saved, you were always saved, why would the devil mess with us anymore? Why are you being called to sin? Why are you being tempted to change and go back into your old ways? The Word of God says, be careful if you're standing strong. Don't get confident and cocky in who you think you are. It is only by God's grace that we stand in relationship with God and we are ever dependent upon Him. People, we have mistranslated the Scripture over and over again and I hear people quote it all the time saying like, it says in the Word of God, God won't give us more than we can stand. No, church, what He says is, you won't be tempted beyond what you can stand. Life is going to push on you all the time. He is not talking about life situations here. He's talking specifically about temptation. No one, man, I know this is going to go against some people's grain here. No one has to give in to sin. Sorry. That's God's word. He says when you are tempted, God will always make a way of escape. You don't have to fall. Listen, if Jesus doesn't have that kind of power, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. Because if he can't handle me here, what are we going to do in eternity? I mean, I'm just looking at the word of God and it keeps talking to me, and I'm like, Lord, I, I I see that you are calling us into this amazing life with you where the word of God gets planted. The enemy tries to take it away. We've got to listen, understand. This is over and over again. I've said this over the years with y'all. And God has done it with me. We've got to get rid of the filters we've been taught God about. Theologically... All the things that we've been taught about God, we need to remove those filters and allow God Himself to teach us through the Word of God what He says to us. Because when we have those filters, our own ideas, our own theologies and dogmas, we listen to God through that filter and we only allow Him to be the God that we allow Him to be. We have that ability. You can shut Him off right now. He's given you His sovereignty. Therefore, you have the free will to say no to the Creator of the universe. Is that crazy or what? I don't mean that like he's crazy. I'm saying that is a crazy reality to think that I can tell God, no, I've done it. I did it in my life, and I told him to get away from me, and he did. He's yeah. so merciful. He knew I was just an ignorant boy and I didn't know what I was doing. Thank you, God. See, there's this war that's happening. And as the enemy is trying to get you and I to fit into that parable of the sower in any place but the fourth, his desire is to snatch the truth out of your heart and soul and get you to turn back. All that he desires for you and I is one compromise, one step of disobedience seriously, I've I've contemplated this and I thought, if we could just travel in time back to King David when he saw Bathsheba on the roof and she was over there having a bath and he saw that woman and he inquired about her and they told him this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite and he sent for her. See, there was a temptation. There was a moment of truth. Who is she? She's a married woman. And he sent for her. Cross that line. No business. No conversation. Dave, this Dave, believes that that Dave thought he could handle it. I'm just going to have a conversation with her. She's very good looking. <laughs> I mean, I just want to get her closer to me so we can just talk about stuff. Just... Maybe I'll even ask her about her husband and how he's treating her. We'll just have a little time together, that's all. And Before you know it, he commits adultery. She's pregnant. And he has her husband. By the way, one of his mighty men, his upper echelon of warriors who protected him was Uriah the Hittite. One of his confidants had him killed. There's no way There is no way King David ever imagined that happening. I guarantee you that before that event, there is no way he ever saw himself doing something like that. And there he is. There he is. Throughout my ministry life, there have been many popular pastors who have fallen. I have personal friends in the ministry that fell. I've worked with some of them personally in the midst of a crisis in their life and trying after. None of them ever imagined it would be them. None of them. None of them ever thought they would ever do what they did. Never even planned on it, never considered it, never thought it. You know what happens? We stop doing the things we know we're supposed to do, and it's just one compromise. Begin to just function instead of having a real relationship with God. I know today's message is a little heavy, and believe me, I've been carrying it with me, and I love you. But I just find it so critically important for us to listen to God's word and listen to what he says. So let's just put all that behind us for a second. And, um,. Those of you that come from a different theological belief and you think once saved always saved, can you just like let that go right now, seriously, and let's look at God's word for a minute. This is not to prove that wrong or this right or anything like that. I'm saying just dismiss the confusion of our minds and don't let the enemy stop you from hearing God. See as God's word continues to be learned and studied and understood. The Word of God tells us that something is produced in us, right? I mean, Jesus said that. Something happens, and something is produced. We know that when Martin Luther began to see in the Word of God, Romans chapter 1, that faith is what saves you by faith alone. It's nothing that you do. It's what God does in you. That all we do is engage our faith in what He says, and we are saved. Martin Luther Discovered this in his studies of the book of Romans, began to teach it, and then he experienced it himself. One year after he nailed that thesis to the door in 1517, he experienced for himself salvation by faith in his heart, and he wrote about it. Now, listen, all of his life he'd been taught something, he'd gone to school for it, he was at a doctoral level of what he had been taught to believe. And he had been teaching what he had been taught to believe. And Catholicism taught that your works changes your heart. And when Martin Luther read in Romans chapter 1 and all the things that we shared last week, that it was faith that changes the heart and works had nothing to do with it, but that the works come because of the change in heart, it was a flip of the exact things that he was taught. Remember I was telling you that we're teaching like church planting to evangelize people? It's like we keep doing this reversal thing. It's stupid. I did say it that time, sorry. <laughs> so when when Luther discovered actually what the Bible said instead of what seminaries taught, instead of what the hierarchy in the church taught, remember the Pharisees? When Jesus was telling them what God's word actually said versus what they were telling people it said? the biggest conflict he had was with the Pharisees, the teachers of God's Word. Because they were teaching the Word of God in their context instead of God's truth. And the people were subject to their context because they did not have the Word of God for themselves. James chapter 2 says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? So I just want to give you a little clue here before you read any further in James. Martin Luther really struggled with James. He had a hard time with it because had, his history was all about works. And James is telling us works matter. And so Martin Luther, once he discovered Jesus by faith, had a little like cringe inside of him about the idea of works. And so he struggled with the, the writings of James. But it's still truth that he still translated it. See, you can be uncomfortable with what God says because it goes against what you've heard. But if you walk in obedience to it, God's word will prove itself. Listen. before we just think that all we got to do is go give food and clothes to the homeless, which I'm not saying don't do that. I want you to hear me. And what James is actually saying, he's using this as an illustration of being practical and applicable with the word of God because above that he says, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, plural, he's saying in real life, if your life isn't different, you can say you have faith, but there's truth in how you live and what you do. And that's exactly what he's trying to illustrate to us. It doesn't matter what you say. How you live is what really is your faith. So if we're spiritually like this on Sunday, and Wednesday we're down here, this is who you are. And that's your relationship with God. And I'm not talking about feelings at all. I'm talking about a relationship with God. All right. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is producing something in us as believers. And what He's producing, He's producing in and through us, is something that others see. Because it is our actions. See, our actions come from what's within us. Our words come from what is in us. Who we are comes from what is in us. And so in Galatians 5, it says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit. Not plural, the fruit. It's a singular act of God that He produces in us. Now, if you're brand new in the faith, it's not like God has all these things that you're living in them equipped and you're doing it day one. We're growing. Remember, it's a producing of fruit. It takes a season. So you can be a little knob on the branch. You can be a blossom. You can be a little green apple. It doesn't matter where you are as long as that fruit is being produced in you and God is doing it. But God is producing that through you and Jesus says that there's going to be evidence of the produce of God coming out of you. The parable of the sower. It's happening. It's happening so as the word of god becomes part of our life through listening hearing understanding and applying obedience application of scripture this is what god's word means when it teaches us not to judge so we're like if you're not a fruit that i see then you don't measure up no we don't judge that way but listen because everybody's quick to say don't judge everybody is Let's listen to what the Word of God actually says to us in Jesus' own teaching. He says, You better be absolutely aware of those who are teaching you. Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Listen now. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. This is Jesus talking. So he tells us, like, you know, if the life doesn't match the message, that's not a follower of Jesus. Come <laughs> on, It's not a follower of Jesus. Don't listen. Deceiver. Wolf. Danger. Okay. Let's look a little bit further in the scriptures here in, in Jesus' teaching. He just taught the parable of the sower. And the very next teaching that he does is another parable about farming. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. And he slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where'd they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus says like, all throughout Christendom, there are these that look similar, but they're not. He says there's going to be those amongst the Christian family that are right there in the midst of it all. There's going to be churches, pastors, Members that are right there in the midst of all that God is doing and all that God has planted, but they're not part of Him. See, it's, it's critically important that you and I listen to God's Word to know what He says to us, understand what it says, and act upon it. Leading, another thing that I'm very grateful for in 2020 and all this stuff is that I, I felt God prodding me to start online discipleship for a long time. Heather and I talked about it over and over and over again, probably over the last three, four years. And it was like, I'm always busy on stuff, and it's always put to the back burner. And this year it was like, well, you're going to do it now. <laughs> Get on it. And you know, when you think about stuff, and you're like, I'm always trying to overcomplicate things by trying to make sure it does this, this, and this. And God just gave this completely simple format. It's it's so simple, it's ridiculous. Just come together, have everybody online give one praise for what God's doing in your personal life, one prayer request, what you're asking God to do in your life. Having read a specific chapter, what did God say to you in that chapter? How does that apply in your life and did you do what you said last week? That's our five steps for our online discipleship, so you can join us anytime you want to. So simple. But listen, this is why I'm saying that to you right now. Because... I am a student of the Word of God. I've been through educational systems and still in one. Going through all that stuff and wanting to be a good, um, you know, disciple of Christ and and serious about my teaching and what God says to me. I mean, I've read so much stuff and I've read commentaries and study notes and theologies of this, that, and the other thing and studied all that stuff. And uh, it's been... um, in 2002, I was uh, in a prayer time with God and struggling with some of the things that I'd been taught and surrendering those things to God and, and saying, Lord, I want to change. That's, I see this is what your word says and not that. Help me. And in that moment, I, I said to the Lord that I would not read any more commentaries or study notes or any other books. I would simply look in the word of God and ask him to teach me. For 10 years, I didn't read anything else. Now, I didn't make this a public proclamation and share with everybody. I'm just letting you know. I spent 10 years from 2002 to 2012 reading nothing but God's word and asking God to create his theology in my heart. I'm not saying I'm the only one. Just hear what I'm saying. I was raised in a legalistic, holiness church and indoctrinated into things that were more about how you looked and people thought of you than the relationship I had with God and being obedient to the spirit of God. So there were things that I was taught that were not accurate. And I wanted to know what God said to me. And so in that process of those years, God began to rewrite His theology in my heart. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But as I come to you today, I'm saying this, and this is how we lead our online studies, and there's a reason I'm sharing this today. I tell everybody, okay, so let's say, for example, I think tomorrow night is Mark 5. And on Wednesday, the men's group, we're going into Acts 12, I think it is. And I'm going through other ones with the staff and whatever. It doesn't matter. All I'm saying is this. I tell everybody, you read only that chapter. I encourage you to read it more than one time. Don't read study notes. Don't look in the center column and chase another verse over there. Don't read a commentary. Read that chapter. Ask God, what do you want to say to me? Teach me. What do you want to talk to me about? Show me. And If you read it through once, look, I'm telling you right now, Dave, because of my history, I have to read every one of those chapters, probably at least, I'm going to just guesstimate here, I I at least read them all five times each. And that's not to brag, it's to say like, I'm that messed up. Okay, it takes me five times to dismiss all the ideas that I have, all the messages I've preached, the devotionals I've read, all that stuff. I got to push that stuff away and say, God, what are you saying? I don't want to know what they said. I don't want to know what I said. I want to know what you say. What are you teaching me today? What do you want to speak into my life? Because you see, God's Word is alive. And He knows what I'm going to face tomorrow. And He knows what needs to change in me. And therefore, I want to know, God, what are you saying to me? Now, I recognize that you're listening to me. I do. But I'm always pointing you back to God's Word. And I I continue to ask you to do so. Look at what God is saying to you. Now apply it. What am I going to do with what God says to me today when I get up tomorrow? Because see, in the the parable of the sower, He said some of the people that hear the truth will get up and the cares of life will just consume it and it will be taken away. Some will get so wrapped up in life that they'll allow life to become their objective and the seed will dwindle and die. So it's like, man, you know, Sunday is an amazing day that we gather as the family of God, look into the Scriptures, worship God, tell Him how much we love Him. But He's saying, like, take something back with you from that moment so that you will be my people on Monday. So that others will see that you are my people on Monday. <sighs> the change of our life. The prophet Ezekiel is... is probably one of my favorite Old Testament characters. He is just a crazy guy. He was. If you read his book, you'll know. God asked asked him to do some crazy stuff. Like, he had to act stuff out. He he was like um, a one-man show, a theater guy that spoke God's Word. God told him, Ezekiel, this is the crazy thing that I'm like, man, this guy, I love him because he is so committed. God told him that the people are going to talk about you, Ezekiel. They're going to think you're awesome. They're going to love to listen to you, but they're not going to do anything you say. Yeah. They're not going to hear me. They're not going to listen to the things and apply it. They're going to stay away from me, but they're still going to come to listen. Yeah. What do Wow, well, God, I'm like, that is like a heavy call. Like, I'm going to go preach truth, and no one's going to change. No one's going to listen. No one's coming to God. But I've got to live my entire life preaching that truth. It's like, that's a pretty heavy burden. And that was his ministry. He was awesome. What a faithful man of God he was. So God gives him this message. And this is why Ezekiel was a faithful man of God. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Give your people this message. I think it's interesting that God said, give your people this message, not my people. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action their own fault if they die they heard the alarm but they ignored it so the responsibility is theirs if they had listened to the warning they would have saved their lives but if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people he's responsible for their captivity they will die in their sins but i will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths now son of man i'm making you a watchman for the people Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people (laughs) are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their death. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. That is pretty amazing, powerful stuff right there. And that's why I share with you to tell you that I understand the seriousness of being here. This isn't a Sunday where it's like, oh, uh, Pastor Dave, what a great message. I, I mean, I appreciate all the encouraging words, but please understand me. Like the responsibility that God's saying right now is like, people listen. People listen. The enemy's coming. Church, the enemy is coming. He is evil and wicked, and he's a deceiver. And he is pursuing you, bringing chaos, confusion, trying to get you to begin the treadmill of questions. He's desiring to take you away and destroy you the reason this message has been such a heavy burden for me over the past few days as I felt God leading me in this direction is I want you to know that I feel the responsibility of sharing with you the message of hope which is Jesus but at the same time I realize that there are people that are even listening to the words I'm saying right now that aren't going to make it. (laughs) When that truth was just being lived in my heart this week I'm like God (laughs) no (laughs) please (laughs) I saw your faces (laughs) this isn't a game man this isn't just a a Sunday thing that we do you understand you're going to answer to God for your life and your actions matter your words matter who you are matters you've got to live up to God's standard not the churches, not your parents, not societies. You have to live to God's standard, church. <laughs> Salvation is not I hope so, not I think so. It's you either know you are or you're not. See, God's promises in His words say that He gives us the witness of the Holy Spirit that we're saved. The church can't do that. I can't do that. Nobody can do it. Only God can say, you're mine. And when God says, you're mine, you know you're His. You don't question it. The first step I tell everybody that says yes to Jesus is this. When you leave, the enemy's going to tell you nothing happened, but you know right now something happened. He is trying to plant the seed of doubt to take you to not believe that God is the God of transformation of power and of life change and he's your savior so the enemy is going to try and plant seeds of doubt if you weren't saved he would never tell you you weren't right I mean think about it have you been saved do you know you're a child of God if you don't know today please don't leave without knowing Jesus as your Savior. We invite anyone that wants you to come to the altar for that. We'll help you any way we can. But again, you know your heart. God knows your heart. He wants to redeem you. Have you been baptized in your faith? Doesn't matter if you were sprinkled as a baby or dunked or anything like that or if you did a church thing where you were baptized because your friends told you needed to, your parents did. If you have not been baptized in your faith, you need to be we're going to do that in two weeks sign up through our website let's do it what is god revealing to you through his word what is he revealing to you are you doing what he says be obedient to that are you living in obedience it's a surrender yes god yes lord it's all you would you stand with me we're done a little over sorry but it's important we got to get there man in light of eternity this little extra six minutes that you're here is not a big deal. It's not. It's really not. I'm sorry, but. The scriptures, um, the altar's open. I realize some people have work and stuff to do, and I get it. You know, things happen. And I just want you to know the altar's open. Anybody, you don't, nobody's judging you. Don't care what anybody else thinks. If you want to come and be with God at the altar, that's what we call this place. We take that from the Old Testament where the sacrifices were brought before God. And so we say, hey, you want to come and be with him? This is the place to meet him. He's everywhere, I know that. Just designated a space in church where we can come and be with him. So if you want to, you can come forward. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for Jesus. Thank you for your word, God. It's life-changing, powerful truth. God, I, I pray, God, to have mercy and grace. Pursue us relentlessly. For those that are struggling right now and they're wrestling with everything inside of them, I pray that you would just call them, Lord, profoundly. Shake them in their core. Shake them over the pits of hell. God, strike fear. Make people miserable that are not following your ways. Bring chaos and confusion even more so